Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're going to talk about navigating each stage of labor. Now, you may have taken a childbirth education course or read some books, and you have a sense of the stages of labor, but we're going to actually break away from just the medical idea of dilation equaling the stages of labor and talk a little bit more organically and flexibly about what are these stages of labor more by what the body is showing you, the behavior of of the person birthing, the sounds they're making, how they're moving, are they able to communicate, are there, is their labor project falling apart? It's a really great conversation to think more about who's in front of you laboring, or maybe you're the person that will be giving birth, what that's, what's happening to your body, as opposed to what we may see in a medical book about birth. So to have this conversation, I have Ashley Brichter. Let me tell you a little bit about Ashley. She is an educator, speaker, and consultant, and entrepreneur. And despite her experience with hundreds of families as a doula and educator, like so many, her first birth did not go as planned, which she shares about. And better for it because in 2019, she founded Birth Smarter, which provides unbiased, inclusive, and award-winning practical wisdom and guidance to the next generation of families. Ashley was born and raised in New York City, and she currently lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. And she's got two kids, and she is also a certified fair play facilitator and sits on the board of Pronatal Fitness. She's got a lot of knowledge and a lot of information, and I really enjoyed this conversation because as someone that likes practical information... Ashley really offers a practical guide to looking at what your body will might may be doing in the earlier phase when things are not so hot and heavy. And then as you turn the corner and contractions start to get more intense, she gets really practical ideas to navigate and process each part of that labor. So I think you're going to get a lot out of that. Now, before we hear the conversation with Ashley, I just want to give some updates at PYC. So we are now well into our fall and we've added a couple of more in-studio classes. So we have class every day in studio except Sunday when we mainly have our workshops. So you can check that out. But we've maintained our online classes 
every day. So recently we have a student who practiced with us during her first birth, but now she moved. She's now in California and she's 39 weeks as she was this morning. And she told me that she comes to class every single day because we have it online. And when she lived in the city, she couldn't do that. So it just makes me incredibly happy to know that we have people that can get the support they are looking for with our online classes. They're live streamed, so it's in real time. And of course we have our re-releases, but anyway, for all of that, check our website, prenatalyogacenter.com and join us for class. And then the last thing I want to say before we get to my conversation with Ashley is we've continued with our online teacher training. So if you are really excited about the idea of supporting the pregnant person during their pregnancy and labor and postpartum, check out our 85 hour prenatal yoga teacher training. We do it online three times a year and in person once a year. And then we have an upcoming postnatal teacher training. We always do that in May. So lots of learning and support opportunities for the yoga teacher, as well as our pregnant students. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Ashley. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me, Deb. Oh, I'm really excited. I know we've kind of circled around each other in the birth world, but we've never really had a chance to sit down and chat. So I'm really excited. Thanks. All right. So let's jump in. I know we're going to talk about navigating different stages of labor, and I love how you have a very flexible thought about that. But before we get into that, I would love to learn a little bit more about you and how did you get into the whole birth world? Yeah. Um, it was a circuitous journey. I think like so many people, um, I started in the education world and thought ever since I was tiny, you know, probably still in toddlerhood or very early elementary school years that I was going to be a classroom teacher. Um, I was born just loving babies and small children and helping parents and playing school and playing house and, um, doing all these very like appropriately gender normed things. Um, and it, it seemed like becoming a teacher was the right path for me. Uh, and I went to school for that. I love thinking about sort of pedagogy and curriculum design and how people learn. Um, and when I graduated from college, education in the United States is really complicated and tricky as is the birth world. Um, and I couldn't get a job teaching at any of the schools that I was really interested in working at. Um, and so I decided to sort of pursue what a lot of people in my generation were doing and take a year off and figure out how to put pieces of my life together and potentially apply for a master's degree in education. Um, and in that year was introduced to um, both working for myself and sort of setting up a business, which was very interesting. Um, <laughs> and I was also introduced to the doula world um, and did a doula certification and became a lactation counselor really pretty quickly and was like, this is amazing working with families one-on-one, -on -one, um, 
And so it was from a few years of doula work and dabbling with the very beginning of being an entrepreneur um, that I found my way into childbirth education and sort of the one-to-many model where we're really helping expectant parents um, get ready to have a baby, you know, which is, if we think about it, like exactly where I should be and what I should be doing, because education starts, you know, with parents before school. So when did you have your kids in this whole mix? Yeah. So I did all of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got all of my certifications. Um, and before? Or, before. Or, okay. Yeah, like out of school when I was just a young adult. And then a few years in, in 2014, I had my daughter. Um, I was a childbirth educator, a birth and postpartum doula and a lactation counselor. Um, and I was pretty... Um, I was pretty, I had a big ego. (laughs) Um, I was like, I know all the things and this is going to be awesome. And I'm going to basically be the best ever at having babies. How'd it go? Yeah. Um, I mean, (laughs) both and, uh, I loved giving birth. I love giving birth. I would do it so many times. Um, I loved like the beginning of my daughter's life. I think I was really actually pretty well set up postpartum, but part of the reason that birth smarter exists, uh, and part of the reason I'm so excited to talk about a different way of understanding the stages of labor is because, In my first birth in 2014, um, I had really severe complications postpartum um, Mm. and wound up, you know, with general anesthesia in an operating room with exploratory surgery where they were trying to find out um, why I couldn't maintain consciousness because I wasn't hemorrhaging, um, but I, I fainted six times in three hours. Um, And it turns out I had an incredibly large, um, hematoma. I was, I had internal bleeding, um, and they found it and, you know, took it out and stitched me up. And, um, I was in the hospital for a few days. I got three blood transfusions. That must have been very scary, especially as a brand new parent where your focus would, I would think be like, of course you want to make sure you're okay, but get to know this new baby. Yeah. I think that, um, (laughs) uh, in the moment and looking back, I was incredibly calm. Um, I definitely, I had some pretty serious postpartum anxiety like six months later. I think the reality really set in for like what could have happened. But in the moment, um, and this is something I wish for everybody, I felt so surrounded by incredible care Um, like compassionate um, and sort of patient-centered care, but also like people I trusted to be medical experts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't feel at any point like I had to make decisions myself. There was one (laughs) one sort of the funny side of it in um, in my ego when, you know, a resident was having me sign the consent form for general anesthesia after I was like transferred in an ambulance and on a stretcher because we planned a home birth. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. I can't sign the form for anesthesia because I'm breastfeeding. And um, the OB just was like, what, what do you think? Like, this is 
this is an emergency, you know, like they were very frustrated by sort of my confidence and my lack of urgency. Um, and my midwife was very helpful and was like, Ashley, we're, we're done with that phase of, you know, birth planning and preferences, like (laughs) sort of like, you know, I see, I see your nod for self-advocacy and uh, the time for that has passed. Um, And I appreciate it, but we are way beyond that. Yeah. So like sign the paper and, you know, go, go become unconscious so they can figure out what's going on. Um, but I, I did feel like, I just was, I was surrounded by so much love and so much, so much expertise. Um, and it, I'm so grateful that it didn't feel scary and it didn't feel traumatic. And, um, I had to heal physically, but I didn't have to heal emotionally, um, in a way that I think a lot of people have to, when they have sort of traumatic and unexpected experiences. And I think a lot of that in particular was due to, um, the team that I set up and sort of the trust I put in both, you know, my out of hospital midwifery team and my in hospital medical care team. And the balance was just perfect for me. I love what you just said. And I feel like we can go off on a totally different podcast. We won't, but I just want to highlight something that just really sits with me and struck me is that some people can have what looks like a picture perfect birth, but feel traumatized because they were not involved and they weren't cared for. And they were just kind of taken through the process. And you had what clearly sounded like something beyond the norm, but yet because of the support you had and the compassion that you came out from something that could have been scary, feeling really supported and an untraumatic birth. That's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. And I know that's as those in the birth world, that's what we strive for. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then, so my son's birth was three years later in 2017. And his is when I really, the stages of labor and I separated during his birth, um, because his birth was actually a little bit more traumatic for me. Um, I had about three and a half hours in labor with him where I had about two minute long contractions, which you Mm. and I, and probably a lot of listeners know is way too long. (laughs) Um, like when a contraction comes and it's sort of rocking your world, 60 seconds, you know, maybe up to 90 seconds sometimes is, is really all somebody can take. And so these contractions that were pushing past two minutes, um, were so intense for me. Um, but they were coming every like nine, 10, 11 minutes. And we were all just so confused as to what my body was doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and looking back, you know, like whatever, doesn't really matter. That's what my body was doing. And baby and I were both really doing well, um, in terms of our vital signs, but, uh, that one messed with my head in a very different way. Mm. Yeah. And I can see that in teacher training last weekend, we had a student that said her water broke and then within 45 minutes, she was ready to push. I'm like that. And she was like at home. So that is, that is, you know, we have the bell shaped curve and that is definitely beyond, which is exciting that we're going to talk about the stages of labor because there is, you know, kind of, um, we talk about the bell-shaped curve. You have some within that are very familiar, and then you have some that are well with, with outside of that. So I'm, and we want people not to feel like if they're outside of what we typically see, there's something wrong and that we can look at other cues of the body and have a flexible frame. So, all right, let's jump in. So (laughs) 
<laughs> I guess. All right. Let me think. So let's, I guess, start with describing the stages of labor and examine how it's beneficial to see what's actually like you, what was actually happening in front of you. So let's start with your flexible frame and I guess just talk about how you see the stages of labor and how you can best support the person that's actually having it instead of being like, this doesn't fit the paradigm. Totally. Okay. So the stages of labor or the stages and phases of labor is really medical terminology that came about in the 1950s when obstetricians in New York City, which is, you know, coincidental for us being there, like on the ground, um, try to figure out how they could observe and then um, describe the progress of labor going from somebody who's like, hey, now this has begun to you have a baby. Um, and so there's technically three stages of labor in the medical language. Stage one is when the cervix is dilating. Stage two is when you're working on pushing a baby out. The cervix is already out of the way. And stage three is when you're delivering a placenta. And those three things like have to happen. Those stages make sense. Cervix has to get out of the way. You know, baby's got to exit. And then the placenta has to be born. And I think what is trickier Um, is when we get into the specifics of the phases of stage one. So the phases of stage one, uh, as we talk about them, are early labor or latent labor, active labor, and transition. And so the idea is we're going to break down the process in which somebody's cervix dilates fully, so a baby can exit, into sort of the, hey, it's like mild and not that intense. It's getting pretty intense it's super intense. Um, and the, the medical community, um, based on a very, very small study, has assigned timelines to these three phases. And so there's a lot of language out there. And most birth educators are taught, this is certainly what I was taught, um, and doulas are the same way, uh, are taught that typically, you know, early or active labor is when you're going from about zero to six-ish centimeters. And I say ish because that definition changed in the last few years. It used to be zero to four centimeters. Mm -hmm. Now it's zero to six, right? And then active labor is six to eight and transition is eight to 10. And the thing about breaking something um, like dilation up into these phases is one, it requires us to be checking somebody's cervix all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, which we can have a separate conversation about, but the like short pin there is that probably doesn't make sense. Um, two, we have to assume that cervical dilation is linear, right? So this is what we talk about in our birth classes all the time. Expectant parents have a deep hope because we love to control things that if you have to get from zero to 10 centimeters dilated, when you're five centimeters, you're halfway done. And that could also not be farther from the truth because like the story you described, somebody could go from zero to six in six hours, but it could take 12 hours to go from six to 10, you know, or vice versa. You have a very, very long beginning and a much shorter end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because we, I would advocate, and I think a lot of people in the birth world are advocating that we don't want to be checking cervixes all the time. And we recognize that dilation is not a sort of linear, neat, 
um, sort of progressive track. Um, we need to come up with another model of understanding what progress looks like. Right. No, I agree. And, and you and I are both doulas. So clearly I was not checking cervixes cause that was not my place. And so I'm assuming you probably did the same thing. We would look at how someone's acting and the sounds and their movement to get a sense of where we are in this journey. And for me, because most of the time I took people, I wasn't, I didn't do a ton of home births, but we would have to make an educated guess of when to head into the hospital. It was really kind of the emotional signpost. So I'd love to get into some of your thoughts on that about looking at the behavior and getting a sense of what's happening. Yeah. Um, so we, we typically see that when contractions start out, they typically are mild, um, and there's a good amount of time in between them, right? This is not how all labors start, but a lot of labors will begin with, huh, what is that sensation? Oh, that's a contraction. <laughs> oh, this is a contraction. I, I get it. I know what people are talking about now, you know, and I always joke that I, if I could explain what a contraction felt like, I would just, you know, have so much more money than I have right now. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're talking about this sensation of your uterus contracting that you'll feel in your low belly wrapping around to the back of your body. And maybe you'll feel this tightening for 20, 30, 40 seconds. Um, and typically, even if you, you know, you can't really talk through it, it maybe feels like very intense menstrual cramps or something like that. As soon as it goes away, you are your social, rational self. You know, like if you're like, oh, I got to call my mom back or, hey, we need to take the banana bread out of the oven or I really wanted to clean the toilet before I go to the hospital, you're going to be thinking all of those things once that sensation ends. Um, and what we want to have happen is that we want the uterus when it's contracting to become more intense over time, because the way physiologically that the feedback loop of labor works is that the longer and stronger contractions can more effectively push a baby's head down onto the cervix and then pull that cervical tissue up and out of the way. Mm -hmm. And so the the feedback loop of labor allows the cervix to open, which, you know, and then in turn allows the baby to get pushed down and out, um, which is what we want. I think a lot of people honestly forget that or don't know that from the beginning. Um, right. How many times have you seen this? Like people are sort of fighting against the process. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely see that a lot instead of surrendering to it and, and working with it. But I love, I want to back up to something you said that is really highlighted is the importance of that space between, because I've had a lot of folks that don't realize that there's these natural breaks between contractions. I've had people think like once labor starts, they're just riding the, the contraction the whole time. So I love that you highlighted like and and I love that you talked about the banana bread because I often tell my students about labor projects. I'm like, when your cookies are burning, you've turned the corner. And right. that's what I call the stop, drop, and roll, where they might be like, oh, yeah, it's great. And then the contraction. And they're like, I'm not talking to you. I'm breathing. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that we're so aligned on certain things. Sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. So no, got... I think that that's really helpful. I also love that term, labor projects. So I think that that's the idea is because it, it comes from a deep understanding of physical 
physiologically what's happening. And exactly the word you used, right? Being able to surrender or let go or allow the contractions to get longer and stronger and more intense. And with that intensity, right, we're then going to see someone potentially over, you know, within an hour, potentially within 12 hours, but we're going to start to see someone shift from being that social and rational self in between those contractions to someone who is a lot more internal and focused Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, they're going to let the banana bread burn. They're not going to text somebody back. Um, and sometimes, you know, the other way we will describe it is, if a, if a partner offers, you know, someone water and they're towards the beginning of, of labor, they might say, no, thanks, babe. You know, I don't want any right now. (laughs) And then, you know, when things are really picking up in intensity, that person is just going to push the water bottle out of their face Mm -hmm. and be like, I, you know, I have no words. Um, and I always try to find sort of physiological and happy examples um, because birth is a physiological, hopefully relatively happy event. Um, And so the one I come back to again and again is somebody running a marathon Um, because all the other examples we have that are labor-like tend to be when someone is sick and you're not sick when you're having a baby, right? But if you're running a marathon, and you see somebody running at mile four, they're going to run over and give you a big hug and chat for a second. And that's going to be really different than if you see somebody running at mile 19, who Mm -hmm. doesn't quite have the same amount of energy to like engage in conversation with you from the sideline. Yep. All right, Todd. So I love, again, I'm very practical. So you gave some great examples of like they're in their happy state in the beginning. And it's exciting. You're like, they're finally meeting their baby. They've turned their corner into the banana bread's break uh, is now burning. Um, they're not quite the same as they were in mile four. Talk about that other turn of the corner into transition and some of those emotional physical signposts. Yeah. So, um, in the marathon example, right. I'll run with this for a second. That pun was unintended, but I like it. I'll run with it. Um, (laughs) so I've never run a marathon, but I'm sort of obsessed because my mom and my uncle run a lot of marathons. I grew up in New York city and New York city marathon day is just like my favorite. The energy is so good. Um, And so what I have learned and other people might know is that when you're training to run a marathon, you only run, you only practice run till mile 20. Hmm. And the assumption is that if you can get through mile, you know, up to mile 20 in your training, you're going to be able to finish the rest of the course. But actually doing the complete distance is like not very good for you. It's not very healthy to be running that far um, that often, especially before your race. Um, And I think that that analogy really holds up when we're thinking about labor. So the idea is we can take a birth class, work with a doula, do some hypnobirthing tapes, you know, do some birthing from within journaling exercises, go to prenatal yoga, like do all the work we can do to get us physically and mentally prepped to run 20 miles. Mm-hmm. And what happens at some point in labor even if it's a second, third, fourth baby, at some point in labor, people hit a phase where they're like, oh, damn, this is farther than I thought. 
I'm not sure that I have what it takes to get to the next, to get through the next little bit. And what I have seen, and, you know, please add on to this from your experience, but what I have seen at the, towards the end of most people's labor is some version of extreme self-doubt, overwhelm, sort of peak intensity, you know, crying. And sometimes it's really funny, right? It's like a bit of like, you can cut the baby out. I'm going to keep the baby in. I don't really care what happens. I had a doula client start to tie her shoes. We're up at um, (laughs) East and I, I turned, I just, I'd gotten something and I turned around and her husband went out to, I think, get ice chips and she was literally tying her sneakers. And she's like, I'm done. done." And I'm like, I'm like, can, can you stay? Can you? <laughs> but that was probably my funniest that I've ever seen. And then in my own birth, I just remember like crawling out. Cause I also did a home birth crawling out of my bedroom. My midwife and my doula and my husband were in the kitchen. And I just, am like, okay, I, I think we need to, I think we need to go to the hospital. I think I'm done. Mm-hmm. And my midwife just so kindly looked at me. She's like, but you're still going to have to birth the baby. Yeah. And I just looked at her in like despair. I God, I can still see it. And I was like, okay, fine. And I guess I turned, I don't remember this part. I guess I just turned around and walked back into the bedroom and just cried for a little bit. Like it was just that moment of like, I can't, I call that the crisis of confidence when you hit that wall where you're like, I just, I can't. And you have to make a decision of how to get through that wall. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's a slight hyperbole, but we can just say a hundred percent of the time people cry, you know, like maybe there's one or two people that don't have that release, but typically you need to have that big release of like, I don't know what's on the other side. This is terrifying. I'm exhausted. This is a lot. Am I even ready to have this kid? Like it's all the thoughts and questions at the same time. Um, the other way of saying it, um, which is totally undermines the intensity of labor. But I think sometimes it's like when you wake up in the morning and, um, you were supposed to wake up from your alarm, but your alarm didn't go off. And then like you missed the train, um, and then you didn't get breakfast. So you're super hungry and somebody was sort of snarky to you in a meeting. Um, and then actually you wound up missing lunch and it's just this, like nothing terrible is happening, but you have this off day, you Mm -hmm. know, and then you get home and you walk in the door and your partner's like, Hey babe, what's for dinner? And you're going to like, you're so ready to murder somebody. (laughs) Yes. No, I live that on a daily basis. (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing I like, I mean, as a doula, maybe you can relate this. I thought transition was kind of exciting as a birthing person. I didn't have the same reverence for it. (laughs) I thought it was really challenging, but as a doula, I feel like, there's a certain energy that things are really happening and to hold that space for that person who doubts themselves, but really hold them there to to help them see to the other side. I don't know. I, I enjoyed that part. What about you? I love it. I love it. And I think it's why I love going out and supporting people in marathons. And my son, I think our kids are similar ages, but so my son Mm -hmm. just started playing baseball and like becoming a sport mom, which isn't something that I really thought I would turn into, but just Mm -hmm. like cheering on these little kids. Like it's just anytime I get to 
embrace the fullness with which I am excited for someone else and I can watch someone push through and accomplish something that they didn't know they can do. Like it makes me want to cry just talking about it right now. I think that humans are so unbelievably amazing and powerful. And I actually think so many of the issues we have in our society are from the fact that people don't know how powerful they can be. Mm. Um, and so holding space for somebody when the shit's hitting the fan, you yeah. know, is like, I, I love it. I mean, I think that that's why doulas do what they do. Cause otherwise this is just a, <laughs> it's like a job that doesn't make any sense. Like we need to feed off of the high in that environment and just be like, you are amazing and you yeah. are doing exactly what you need to be doing. That's it. Right. Just keep, keep going. So you've given some really solid kind of idea of what it looks like to go from things are percolating to things are (laughs) hitting the final corner. So let's back up. We're actually going to take a quick break. When we come back, when can you give some ideas of what people should be kind of doing with themselves in that early stage? Because I know a lot of people get over anxious, like, okay, th- is this a labor contraction? What do I do? How, you know, so let's give some ideas of what can someone do if they're not having huge sensations, but we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so we are back. So... What would you share with someone that thinks things are starting to percolate? What should, what are your suggestions for what they should do? How to navigate that stage? Yeah. So my go-to, I learned from Lena DeGloma, who's the founder of Redmond Wellness, an amazing sort of massage therapy and health and wellness practice in Brooklyn, um, and a wonderful childbirth educator. And her line, her go-to line was the way you can ensure someone has a shorter labor is to get them to distract themselves and ignore their labor for longer. Mm, yes. That's what I say. Ignore it until you can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. Like have your labor you had, will find you. Have you had the pushback when I've said that? I've said like, especially at night when people often start to feel things, I've had people push back and be like, what if I have the baby? I'm like, you're not going to have the baby while you're sleeping. So okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we have to think about all the time, especially in group birth classes. Um, when somebody has it, it I, I don't know if deep fear is too dramatic, but that's what it feels like. Somebody's having a real fear and there are, because birth is so misunderstood in our culture, there are only a handful of things that are shown in movies. There are only a handful of things that people are worried about. And one of them is like, I'm going to have this baby in the car, you know, or I'm going to have this baby in front of a whole bunch of firefighters in my apartment, or, Mm -hmm. you know, my water is going to break and there's going to be some, some big emergency. And so I think so much of it comes back to, Hey, let's really understand the physiological process of what needs to happen in your body and why, you know, most of the time 
you have so much time. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there are some precipitous births. This baby might come flying out, but probably not. Um, And we need you to, and, and you'll know, right? That's the other thing is if you're having a sort of slow burn start to contractions at night and you go to sleep, your baby is not about to fall out of your body. Like, you're going to, you're going to get the cues that you need to wake up and you need to get somewhere that feels safe to you. So right, if you're heading to a hospital, you know, your body's going to give you that warning. Cause the idea of you can't ignore it until you can't ignore it. So if you're really having these crazy strong contractions, you can't ignore that anymore. But if you can sleep through it, that's a great idea to keep ignoring it. All right. So keep diving into early like sensations. Yeah. Um, ignore it. Ignore it is number one. So like, don't go timing them. Don't go paying attention to them. Um, and so if it's at night, we're on the same page, like try and get into bed, put on a meditation tape, um, or, you know, light a candle, just try and really find some deep relaxation overnight. Um, because whether or not your birth is actually long, um, once you have a baby, you're going to be very tired. So like get as much rest as you can. Right. Um, and if it's during the day, I really love to walk people through an exercise of, you know, if you had a free day, if you had sort of like imagining a snow day when you were a kid, not like a literal snow day, but like all of a sudden, you know, somebody calls and is like, Hey, your day is canceled. You have no meetings. You have no work to do. Go oh. have fun. Go play. I'm just visualizing. I, I long <laughs> for that. <laughs> All right. I went off my own little visualization of day free. All right. Keep going. Absolutely. I'm so, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, and so do you want to go out to lunch? Do you want to get a massage? Do you want to take a shower? Do you want to deep clean your, 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 you know, like organize your hall closet? Um, and so generally it's like, let's come up with some distracting, but low key activities, um, that could keep your mind off of the work that your body is doing. And so, you know, we typically ask like, what would you do for rest and relaxation? What would you do to feel really productive? Um, what would you do to get really connected to your partner? If there's a partner in the p- picture, what would you do for fun and entertainment? And like, you know, maybe you won't get to use this, but if you know, okay, I want to make banana bread. I want to rewatch season one of Gilmore Girls. I want to paint my nails um, and I want to do a face mask. That's like a pretty solid plan. Yeah. That sounds pretty great. Right? <laughs> um, so so go ahead and make that list. And any of those things, if you're like, oh, I'm really noticing, you know, this sensation or I need to move around a little bit or, okay, we're going to shut the TV off. I'm not ready. You don't want to engage in something that's so big um, and messy that you don't want to leave it. And you don't want to be so far away from your house that it feels you know, dangerous physiologically. Mm -hmm. Um, so think about it within the confines of that, but otherwise have a real list of activities you can do where you might be feeling some sensations, but it's like safe and healthy for you to distract yourself. 
I love that. All right. And so then someone turns the corner. Yeah. And now the banana bread's burning. The face mask has been thrown off. And <laughs> Gilmore Girls has been turned off because they're finding Rory annoying. So what right. <laughs> So <laughs> what are the next tools for these longer, stronger, and closer together contractions? So I think the key is coming up with a game plan that will sort of enhance or optimize or let you lean into the work that needs to be happening inside, right? So like the inside of your body is running this marathon. Your uterus needs to continually contract. What can you be doing externally that allows that to happen. Um, and so the biggest things we think about are what is going to help keep you really relaxed, feeling really safe and really trusting so that your oxytocin can flow, um, right? Cause oxytocin is going to drive those contractions and how can you keep moving in a way that your baby is really encouraged to find the cardinal movements and descend, Um, And so to me, it doesn't matter too much what people start doing, um, but we know that it's going to have to likely involve creating a really oxytoxic environment. So are you thinking about maybe we're shutting lights off now? Um, Maybe we're putting on some different music. We're not going to have a TV on, but like we do have a playlist. Um, You know, do we want to spray some aromatherapy around? And then what are the positions that I can be in while I'm focusing on my breathing um, and while I'm focusing on sort of rocking and rolling or like Penny Simkin talks about um, the three R's in labor, right? With coping. So you want some rhythm, ritual, relaxation. So is that bouncing on a ball? Is it, um, you know, just like sort of swaying side to side? Um, And the way I would instruct someone to think about that if they're still at home is to sort of turn your house into like a circuit training gym. Mm -hmm. Right. So what are like, come up with maybe three to five positions. Yeah. Yeah. Different stations. So let's stack some pillows up on the kitchen counter so I can stand during my contraction and, you know, and then I can lean forward over these pillows and then I'm going to go and I'm going to lie on my side on the bed. Um, and then I'm going to go into the bathroom and I'm going to sit on the toilet for a while. And then I'm going to sit and bounce on a ball in the living room. And I just know like, you know, for 30 minutes, I'm going to go and chill over here. And then 30 minutes later, I'm going to go chill over here. So you can sort of like predetermine what might feel good for you while you're practicing. And then I would want to add, if you don't mind, of not getting attached to those. So I love that you're saying have them pre-thought out, but then I've had some students be like, I didn't use them. I had one client tell me, she's like, I'm going to want to be massaged the whole time. And this is like really early in my doula world. And I'm like, you got it. And all she wanted once she goes in labor, she didn't want anyone to touch her or talk to her. She just straddled the toilet, faced the wall, had her husband on one side, me on the other, and we didn't do a thing. So like, we never know. I love that you're saying come up with a lot of options and then be open to whatever your body, whatever your body's saying. Cause I know I thought, I thought my labors would be very different than it was. And I didn't want most of the things that I had told everyone that I would want. It's really interesting. You know, my midwives told me that and part of my young egotistical self, I was like, you don't know. Like I know I, I need water. Like I am a hydrotherapy person. I'm going to be in this birth pool the whole time. That's how I'm going to deliver. Yes, I um, hated it. 
Well, so for my first, I was in the pool the whole time. And as soon as I had to get out for some other reasons, I was distraught. And then I was like, well, that's what worked. So for my second, I was like, great, need the tub. I got into the tub in my second pregnancy, basically had a panic attack and was like, I don't even, I need you guys to like drain it and get the pool out of here because its presence is stressing me out. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. And so I think that it really is like, I just hope that anybody listening will trust the fact that we thought we knew better and we didn't and be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I actually got resentful. I didn't didn't need it drained, but I got resentful that everyone told me that the tub was going to be so great because it was really, I found it harder to be in the tub, but I was angry at everyone else, not the tub. I was angry at everyone else for telling me that's where I needed to be. So I love the idea of having multiple options to see what actually works. Yeah. And the other thing I just think about this whole concept of what is going to work for you. And you know, you tackle this all the time when people come in because so much of prenatal yoga is giving people the opportunity to sort of visualize this experience in their Mm -hmm. body. But it's just that you're not going to use in labor what you haven't practiced. Correct. Right. Like it's not, you're not going to have these index cards or like the page of a book open um, with a like, Oh, which one of these positions looks good to us now? Like you really want to be building the muscle memory in your pregnancy so that you can just be like, Oh, I'm going to put my leg up into this weird lunge thing. Um, (laughs) because I've practiced this weird lunge thing before. And I know that that feels good for my hips or whatever it is. I feel like, you know, my brain, cause that, that weird side lunge thing is asked for every class. And my yeah. thought is like, if we keep doing it, you may actually do it without thinking about it. So, oh my gosh, thank you for highlighting that. Cause that means a lot. All right. So let's turn the corner even more. So we've got some things to groove to in the earlier stages when things are feeling, you know, a little bit more graspable. We have things where you've now have the stop, drop and roll. You're not chatting it up, but then we turn that corner to transition where contractions are much closer together, much more intense. What are some comfort techniques? What are some ways to process that moment and get through? Um, okay. So, well, one, I want to go back at some point and just say like, what happens if people are going from home to hospital? Oh yeah. Let's do that right now. And then because that one, you know, it's like, cool, you're grooving out, you're on your toilet, you're hanging. And then at some point you're like, this feels like real intense. And like a baby is going to leave my body. And I don't think we should be at home anymore. Yeah, okay. Let's do that now. And then we can talk about transition. Cause hopefully you're not in transition in the car. Cause that's, that's special. In itself. Right. Right. And you know, I just say to everybody, like people are like, okay, as soon as it gets really intense, we got to go. And the thing to remember for a lot of people, especially people having their first baby is that you've got hours and hours to go through all these phases. Right. And so generally just chill. Um, there's no rush, but I don't even want to give like the timing, right? I think the biggest thing for someone who's expecting to think about is how can I pay attention to the instinct that I'm going to have in my body for like, I'm grooving, I'm feeling okay, we're good. I trust this process versus I, there's a baby that's going to make its appearance soon. And I want to be at my birth location Mm -hmm. and trust that feeling for when you want to go and be around your medical team. Yes. Um, 
so I think that all the same things apply, you know, in your car ride. Like, how can you move to the extent that it's safe to do so in the car? Can you change positions? Do you need to bring a pillow with you? What do you want to think about environmentally? Do you want to have an eye mask to sort of, like, take down the lights? Do you want to have music? Um, and is that music going to play in the car? Or do you want headphones? Um, do you want to be talking to someone on the phone, like, a you know, a family member or a doula if your doula is not with you? So I just want to make the note that I think that the car ride and then getting into triage is the most disruptive, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause we're really asked to come out of our labor land and to sort of come out of what's been working for us. If we, you know, have the privilege of laboring at home and then get to, to make our way to the birth location, um, and so what you want to think about ahead of time is how you're going to sort of make that transition period, meaning like the drive to your birth location. Um, how do you make that as much of a like cave as possible where you still get to control the environmental stimuli? Yeah. I think that's a little harder in New York sometimes, um, because people have to come out into the street and then sometimes interact with other folks. So yeah. That is a little more challenging. I've had clients just kind of stay in their lobby and then Mm -hmm. I'll get the cab and then kind of hurry them. Also, cabs won't always stop for a laboring person, I found. Um, Yeah. That's another I think, I mean, nowadays it's all just like calling the Uber XL. Yeah. That's That's smart. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you got them into triage because that in itself can be challenging because it's not private. (laughs) Um, Right. Triage, you're around a whole lot of people. And now you're in this like big fluorescent light environment, right? Once you're in the hospital. And so you really, you're sort of taken out of, or a lot of the things that might have been working for you are taken away. Um, And so it's where you want to play around with coming up with what can that sort of circuit training mentality, like here are my stations, how can I do that in a physical environment where I'm not in charge of all of the elements, right? So if you can't shut the lights off in triage, does an eye mask seem more appealing? Or if you can't control the music on a speaker, do you want to have headphones that you know are going to work, like maybe wired headphones as opposed to the pods that might die, et cetera? Um, do you want to wear your own clothes? Do you want to bring a ball with you? Um, is this a reason maybe why you want a doula in addition to your partner? Because, you know, all of a sudden when a partner has to be filling out registration forms or answering questions, you have somebody who's just dedicated to helping you stay comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And, and cope and stay present. Um, so those are some, some things to consider. And then I just would say trusting the process to know that even if you come out of the physiological feedback loop um, for a few minutes because you're distracted or you have to be more present than your mind wants you to be, you can come right back in as soon as you get into a labor and delivery room. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I think some people get surprised about triage um, and the waiting room because I've brought that up in yoga classes and people are like, wait, we don't just go into a room. I'm like, no. And in the New York city hospitals, as you know, sometimes you can be waiting, waiting for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not a ton of fun. All right. So assuming they've gone through triage and now they're hitting their labor and delivery room and things continue to progress. And I'm betting you're going to say, and I could be wrong that once they get into their L and D room, 
make it their space again, turn the lights off, don't have a lot of extraneous folks coming in and out. What else can they do to make that their space and what can they do as they navigate transition? So I think the one thing I want to highlight here um, is what is important throughout the entire process, but really we see is like essential um, towards the end of labor is figuring out some ways to feel like you have total permission to make a lot of noise. Mm, yes. Um, Cause we haven't like addressed that specifically. And while some people will choose not to make noise, so it's not like you, you have to make noise. Everybody should feel the permission um, and just like comfort to do that. Right. Because the difference between breathing with tension in your body and trying to sort of stay quiet or hold in as if, you know, you stub your toe and you're like, I can't make any noise, can't make any noise. I can feel my body tensing up just with that analogy. The difference between that and just being like, oh, that I stubbed my toe and that really hurt and allowing the vocalization and the breath to be the release of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, makes just a huge difference. And I'm, I'm sure that we have seen that each, you know, so many times and just like agree about the power of breath and vocalization. Yeah. I call it open throat, open vagina. Totally. Right. And so what I, what I think is the biggest differentiator there for people that are like, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to sort of take up space, like auditory space, um, is whether or not a partner or a doula will like go rock out with them. Um, and so this is always like a hysterical part of our birthing classes, but you know, we're like partners, you got to go in there and you got to be like moaning and sighing and breathing really loudly. And they're like, what? Like, why? Like, I'm not having a baby. It's like, yeah, but if you are louder, right, then all of a sudden she's going to have all this space Mm -hmm. to make noise. She's Mm -hmm. not going to feel weird and uncomfortable. Like that is how you give somebody permission. And you don't have to get a baby out of your body. So like, go do it. Right. Like this is how you can be really helpful. I love that. I, I instinctively did that as a doula because I was a performer. Yeah. (laughs) I love taking up space that way. And I, I still remember this one time it was with, she was a nurse herself. Her name was Lisa and she was getting really tight in her throat. So I was trying to show more of an open sound. And then her husband turned the corner. It was like an operatic. And I was like, wow, thank you for helping her. It was hilarious. Wow. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Take up that space. So thank you. Thank you for addressing that. Cause I did not have them in my notes to talk about, but it is incredibly important. So thank mm-hmm. you. And, and then, I mean, the thing is the whole time, like even when things are really early and you're making your banana bread metaphorically, right. You still want to be like, am I safe? Am I relaxed? Am I moving? So then things get more intense, but it's like, am I feeling safe? Right? Are they, am I okay? Is baby okay? And can I keep moving? And now things are getting more intense. Am I safe? Yeah. Is baby safe? Yeah. Can I keep moving? Right? It's just how do we apply those as the intensity picks up? Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be different versions of do you need to do some self-talk or do you need somebody else really verbally coaching you, mm. right? And and this is where I think a lot about, I've actually started trying to bring in like the five love languages 
Have you, do you know the five love languages? No, like, will, you sh- will you share that with me? Yeah. Okay. So the five love languages is this, it's a tiny little book, like a relationship self-help book um, for marriages. And, um, that's a whole separate journey I've been on. So I feel like I've read every marriage book recently. (laughs) And, um, so the concept, you don't have to read the book, but the concept is very straightforward. Basically there's five ways that people give and receive love and it's different for different people. So let me see if I remember them. There's physical touch, words of affirmation, um, quality time, like somebody just hanging out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Gifts and acts of service. Mm, Okay. Okay. And so in a relationship, like a marriage, it's really nice to know what your partner's love language is. My partner's love language is physical touch. Um, My love language would be more like acts of service. And so because we have different love languages, I would typically do acts of service for him. And he's like, hey, my love tank is pretty empty because he really hears, right? Uh, Physical touch. So if I give him a long hug or a foot massage, his love tank is going to be more filled. Okay. And if he comes over and he's like, Hey, let me give you a back rub. I'm like, "Eh, okay. And if he's like, Hey, I filled the gas tank. I'm like, that's so awesome. Thank you. Right. I really can tell that you love me. Okay. I'm following and I'm liking, okay. Yeah. Right. It's like very, very simple. And, and so I think a lot of people that we've been working with have heard something of this framework. And so I like to pull that into the birth environment to say, okay, really notice what fills your cup. And so if I am a words of affirmation person and my partner is not a great words of affirmation person, I might want my mom, my sister, my doula, I might even want to tell my labor and delivery nurse, hey, I would really benefit from some verbal coaching. Mm-hmm. Right? Or you have a you're a very physical touch person, you probably are going to want a little bit more of that from the external support that's going to help you through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a nice way to like build a birth team to help you manage the intensity because you know, you have people that can really hit all the areas that would be important to you. Oh, I like this. I'm also going to get that book. Um, but this is making so much sense, especially as things get super intense, but what have you found that those that may be liking physical touch in that moment, find it too prickly? Yeah, I think it depends on the touch, right? And I think this is what's so important for partners to be practicing ahead of time. And I know a lot of doulas, if, you, if somebody is working with a doula, will do sort of a hands-on prenatal session. Mm-hmm. But I think doing a, a comfort class in pregnancy, working with a doula that, that's very hands-on, you have to practice this stuff. Your partner has to develop the muscle memory here um, because I think there's a real difference between something like, you know, a foot massage or a butt massage um, or scalp massage in labor when things are early and getting more intense versus the touch that you want when somebody is really hitting the hitting the the limits on what they feel like they can cope with. And so typically physical touch is going to be um, much less massage and much more pressure. And I'm just going to push or hold or squeeze this one thing for the the whole contraction, just so one, you have the physical reminder that you are not alone. Mm -hmm. 
right? And then two, we're taking any amount of the intensity and dialing it down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. These have been such great. I love practical information and you're really giving practical things that people, but not just practical, like it apply, it can apply to so much and it doesn't have, it's not a one size fits all, which I know we talked about in the very beginning. This has been fantastic. Okay. So as we wrap up, we're going to take another break, but think about, and you have many hats to choose from a doula hat, childbirth educator hat, parent hat. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? All right, we'll take a break. Think about it. We'll be right back. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah soft made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Okay, so we're back. So I'm curious to hear what has popped into your head with this final question. What is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? That's such a hard question. I feel like I needed like two weeks to prepare to answer it. Okay. I think that if I could offer someone expecting one piece of advice, it would be to engage with information and practice, Mm. um, in order to prepare for the birth, um, for the fun of engaging with the information and practice and not in order to control the outcome of the experience. Mm. So the phrase that I love to use, um, and is like a big theme for us at birth smarter, um, is the idea of the pregnant opportunity. And it's this concept that, Everything that I can think of that would help someone have a better birth experience, getting in touch with your physical body, how is your back, your neck, your pelvic floor, your posture, your alignment, your functional breathing, right? Getting in touch with your mental health and how are you coping with stress and anxiety, Um, becoming more confident, communicating with medical providers and engaging with a really big for-profit system, Um, communicating with your partner if you have a partner present. All of these sort of avenues where we could be like, oh, I could work on that. And if I work on that, it would help me maybe have a better birth are things we should all work on. Mm -hmm. Whether or not we're pregnant, whether or not we have a vaginal birth, whether or not we have an unmedicated birth, like they're just things that sort of make life better. And relationships and communication. I I really like that. Right. Thank you. That is fantastic. All right. So where can people find all the amazing work that you do? Yeah, we're, I'm so easy to find. So we're at birthsmarter, birthsmarter.com. I'm Ashley at birthsmarter. We're birthsmarter on Instagram. Um, and I, we just love, you know, love, love, love being in touch with anyone who's expecting, helping them sort out their birth team or figuring out um, classes to take if they're getting ready to prep. Um, and we have classes in New York City, in Salt Lake City, um, and lots of things happening online for people who are anywhere around the country or the world. Oh, I love that you've expanded so much because your initial group has expanded. Like you're now in Utah and Caprice is in Arizona and you're still working with Chantal in Canada, I believe. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's kind of amazing. So, and I've really, it's like a spider web that has continued. So that is really beautiful. Ashley, I've so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for sharing such great information and for your time. Thanks for having me, Deb. You're welcome. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.